0: Good evening, everyone, and thank you for listening to the Futurati Podcast, where we dive into how emerging technologies will impact the world and your bank account. I'm Trent Fowler, and joining me, as always, is my co-host, Thomas Fry. Thomas and I are futurists, keynote speakers, and consultants with decades of experience in analyzing trends and communicating new developments to audiences across the world. Reach out to us at futuratipodcast.com slash contact Futurati if you'd like to hire us for consulting, to speak at your event, or to advertise on our podcast. Uh, Thomas, we just wrapped up a fascinating interview with Suman Kanuganti, who is the CEO and co-founder at Personal AI, where they are building uh, sort of, I don't know if it's right to call it the opposite of ChatGPT, but they're not building this gigantic language model that's meant to be fully general and able to answer a wide variety of different questions. It's trained specifically on data that you generate, and it learns more about you over time and is better able to approximate the way you would think or act in a given situation as you feed it more data. So... How did you feel about the interview? I, I know this is something you've been talking about for years. For as long as I've known you, you've been talking about digital twins yeah. and twin bots and having some way of farming out, answering boilerplate emails to some sort of algorithm. So this is the realization of something you've been thinking about for quite some time. You must have some reactions.
1: Yeah, this is uh, this is your personal AI. This is your, your buddy bot that you, uh, you can fight in. I mean, you start talking to it when you're a young kid and... It uh, becomes your best friend in high school and college and and lives with you all the way into the retirement home when you're ready to die. So this is um, your entire body of knowledge that you obtain your entire uh, all through your life and that that I think is, is absolutely a fascinating concept but the the downside of it is is that nobody has actually created any technology that lasts more than a couple decades. Um, in, in, in the tech world. So um, yeah, I'm not sure how this stands up over time. We'll, we'll have to see about
0: that, but I, I do find the the first part of your vision very compelling. So as uh, Suman noted in the interview, it learns more over time. Like the more data you feed it, obviously the better the, the model gets. And so I'm thinking, you know, if I started interacting with it today, feeding in notes I take on books, transcripts to this podcast, my answers to questions, interviews I've done, Maybe after a while I you know I could feed it a book and just have it generate notes that I might take or things that I might find interesting, have it draw my attention to, to this or that. I, I think that the possibilities are really, really compelling, and it remains to be seen whether or not they, they've cracked this nut. But if they have, uh, I, I think there are all sorts of applications. It, it's a little bit morbid, but as he was talking, I was thinking about some of the early applications people built with uh, chatbots eight or ten years ago where they would train it on... The emails of the letters of a, of a loved one that had passed away and, and it was almost like they could interact with this facsimile of a departed father or you know spouse or something like that it would be really interesting to leave something like that behind that my children could interact with uh, ho- hopefully far in the future but you know if, if I were diagnosed with terminal cancer today. It's it's comforting noted, noting uh, knowing that I might be able to to leave an artifact behind that would would be able to talk to them or provide guidance in in a manner pretty similar to what I would do alive.
1: Yeah, this seems like a, a model that's going to be hungry for more data all the time, and it might be an incentive to a lot of people to uh, start consuming more information, to surrounding themselves with more information, and. uh and then, then it becomes real fascinating as to what all you can do with it. Um, yeah, the, the idea of leaving your legacy on your your chatbot, something that uh, can be resurrected or can be recalled and you can just download it and start, your great, great, great grandchildren can just start talking to you um, 150 years from now. That'd be kind of cool. A dad bot. A dad bot, uh, dad a dad bot. bot. yeah. yeah. <laughs> so t- so Thomas
0: and I are, are enchanted by the possibilities and hopefully you will be as well. So without further ado, this is episode 129 with Suman Kanuganti. Tonight we're joined by Suman Kanuganti. Suman is the co-founder and CEO at Personal AI, a company that is reinventing human-to-human messaging by leveraging AI that helps people collaborate, exchange ideas, and deepen their relationships with others. As a creator and entrepreneur, Suman is passionate about solving problems for humans by leveraging the power of blockchain, robotics, AI, AR, wearable tech, video streaming, and fintech. If you enjoy this interview, please subscribe to the podcast and share it with your friends. And don't forget to check out our website, FuturatiPodcast.com. Okay, we're rolling. Nusuman, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me, Trent. How are you? Doing just fine. Doing just fine,
2: actually. Is the weather nice in San Diego? No, actually, it's kind of gloomy today. But I still like it when it is cloudy in San Diego because we do get a lot of sun. So I enjoy it when it is not sunny.
0: <laughs> it's got to be one of the one of the only times I've ever asked anyone that question. They're like, "Not really, no." Uh, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> let's uh, let's hear a little bit about your background, your interests, and what brought you to working on Personal.ai.
2: My background I'm an engineer, but I usually try to introduce myself by saying I'm like super passionate about solving hard problems that are close to human beings. Um, I always has this month of like don't solve the humans solve the problem. what do you I mean by that? Uh, it's almost always consumer experiences, consumer problems that I'm most passionate about in my previous company, it built something called iron a i r a that's about like, using technology for Filling the gap of missing visual information for people who are blind and low vision. And uh, in this company, it's about using technology to kind of augment cognition and people's time by using AI. Uh, so that's generally the premise of, you know, of who I am, you know, what I am. By uh, background, yeah, you know, I have a robotics major. I have an, I'm an electrical engineer. I did a lot of software development as well, systems engineering as well and then slowly, you know, picked up this passion of creating, you know, products and uh, solve problems and create some beautiful experiences out of the way. So I got my MBA and then, you know, I jumped into the startup world and this is my second company.
0: Fantastic. I, I love that kind of background. Hard tech and then business savvy as well. It's really a potent combination. I'm interested in your interest in augmenting human cognition. So we've got all these generative algorithms now that are able to output text and videos, and people are only just beginning to explore the possibilities of of these technologies. I'm sort of curious as to your vision of augmenting human cognition, because when I think that, I think something that's actually making the algorithms running in my brain better. I think that ChatGPT and some of the the tools that are available today are a very weak version of that, but I foresee the possibilities for uh, much stronger versions later on down the line. How do you think about that, augmenting human cognition? What, what do you mean when you use that phrase?
2: Yeah. So, you know, the whole concept of the AI, I think most generally people are, we are all familiar with like AI thinking about us like a thing is a separate thing or a, uh, you know, Uh, an entity by itself. From our perspective, we think about technology almost as like a foundation and it's an extension of who you are. So from a purely large language model versus personal language model, right? So when you do give the examples of ChatGPT, from my perspective, you know, it's essentially speeding up our synthesis of what world's information has to offer to us. Uh, such as Google, right? Like, you know, Google gave us such engines so that we can find the right information and all these different pieces, but put all the pieces together for our and synthesize them and then try to come up with some sort of an output from it. Uh, and the knowledge language models basically indexed all the internet that exists on that and gave us a tool to make the thing faster, make that synthesis of information smoother and get to the answers, you know, uh, more on point. The role of personal AI is not about words information, and the role of personal AI is about information that is possessed in one individual, by their thoughts, by their expression, by their voice, by their knowledge. So it is not a large language model. It's actually a personal language model, which is an implementation or a creation of the you know AI models that is pretty much what's very good at small datasets and we have designed it in such a way that it replicates and it tries to be you and how you talk, how you express your thoughts and your knowledge and everything you. So so could I outsource my whole life to it? You could. You could think about like imagining a future where You could outsource at least some aspect of your life to it. Uh, For example, you know, let's say you have a piece of knowledge that you probably are not working on a day-to-day basis every day. You could think about outsourcing that, you know, knowledge of yours for people to communicate with you so that way that you can still benefit from it. Um, so I think there are a, a number of different ways to think about it, right? Like, you know, we are we we start learning what, like at the age of five, and we gather all these experiences, we consume a lot of information, we create a lot of things, and along the way, we are doing things in the moment. Uh, but we also kind of forget like 80% of it. And whenever we think about, you know, recalling information or making a decision, you are not necessarily relying on it's your entirety of your own mind. That's like one piece of the puzzle. Second piece of puzzle is uh, the people that you add value to on your day-to-day basis, you know, the people around you, they probably do not have access to you all the time, 24 seven, you know, to the point where they can have meaningful conversations, ask questions, like still gain the value, you know, that you can offer. So the genesis of this company, like goes with this core idea of how can we create a model that represents who you are to the fullest extent of what you are made of and benefit in everyday communication and everyday lives. So it's kind of the thesis you know, to at Microsoft
0: AI. I have a couple of follow-ups to that. I thought we would start at kind of a technical level, though. So, you know, we've already started talking about GPT. GPT four was just released today. I'm sort of curious about the technology that undergirds Personal AI because on on the website it specifically says you're not using any of the Chat GPT or large language model offerings that are out there today. So. Obviously, you can't divulge too many technical specifics, but I'm just—I'm a machine learning engineer myself, and so I'm just sort of curious about whatever you can divulge in, with regards to its architecture or the training data, how it was built—just just anything you can talk about.
2: Yeah, not sure like technology is always fun. Um, so we, you know, the company we've been in existence for three years, and uh, the technology we built is called personal language model. Uh, fancy enough, we also call our transformers generative grounded transformer. So it is still based on like transform architecture. In fact, it is also based on like GPT architecture. But our implementation was uh, very specific to small amounts of data. So we can train this data, which is which takes like less than seven minutes. Um, it's a combination of conversational as well as generative model that is entirely trained on your data. Now, you know, you asked about the data as well. Like, how do we how do we do that? So what we what we have designed is we basically you know picked some of the influence inspiration from, like, how neuroscience talks about uh, how people, like, gather data and how this core idea of the memory is created in your minds, right? So we created this concept of, like, memory stack, which which is, you know, it takes all the unstructured data in your life from the past historical data as well as ongoing basis. And it goes through a series of transformers to create what we call this memory blocks. A memory block is nothing but a unit of data that can be multimodal, a text, an image, biometrics, location, people, time. And it composes this these memory blocks over a time period. So if you think about like the idea of the memory stack is nothing but this connection of memory blocks over a period of time, it obviously grows depending on what sort of inputs that you are connecting to your personal AI for it to process automatically
1: every time. So oh. let, me, let me ask you a, a question there. Uh, I've been speculating that uh, people are going to be wearing Spark glasses in the future, and you're going to be able to record everything that you see and everything that you hear, everything that you read, all the audio you come into contact with, as well as other sensor data, sensor data that um, your your glasses can pick up um is that the kind of data set that you're talking about
2: yeah the premise is the premise is that the system is designed for modalities even into the future including glasses Uh, i can send you some cool like white papers and patterns and if you want to dig deeper into tech but uh, we envision a future like our immediate future where you have your glasses you go walk around the restaurant your personal AI immediately pops up and says, you've been at this restaurant, so-and-so date, and this is what you had. Uh, you know, if you would want to, you know, recall that piece of information. So, so, yeah, so that's the kind of world that we envision, and these personal AIs are so much learning you and everything about you, not just the preferences as such, but the knowledge, but where you're being, and how you talk about it, what are your opinions, etc. Yeah.
0: Hello, this is Trent Fowler, co-host of the Futurati Podcast. One of the most common pieces of marketing advice I've come across is to know your audience and give them what they want. One difficulty in podcasting is that it's actually pretty hard to do this. None of the major platforms give us any way to reach out to you, our listeners, to find out what you enjoy about the Futurati podcast and what you'd like to see done differently. So we've decided to record this commercial and ask you directly to reach out to us. Head over to futuratipodcast.com, go to the contact page and drop us a line. Tell us about your favorite and least favorite episodes, what you'd like to see us cover in the future and anything else you want us to know. We produce this show for you and we want your advice so we can make it even better. Thank you.
1: So it, it occurred to me that, um, the primary skill that was the most useful skill in history has always been a good memory. If you have a good memory then you're a very valuable person, and you can be used for all kinds of different roles and different jobs. And as we move into this uh, this AI era, we're far less dependent on our memory. That um, we can we can uh, adapt and have other access to our memories through other means. But um, but then it brings up lots of real in- interesting questions around um how what what skills are going to be useful in the future and and what things are colleges going to be doing in the future to justify their existence
0: well especially given did you see that GPT-4 and I, I'm sorry I don't mean to keep making the conversation about on other companies technology but uh it it scored in the 90th percentile for the LSAT and did even better on a couple of other metrics so it's it's not even clear what those tests will be used for anymore
2: yeah, and by the way, don't worry about ChatGPT because I use that examples as well. Everybody understands it, and it's a good general awareness around the company anywhere. So that's all good in terms of AI moving forward. Uh, so this goes back from like technology to philosophical, right? So, so here is my you know take, and we probably talked about this quite a bit, and a lot of people do ask me about you know similar things. Look, like at the end of the day. From my perspective, technology is always going to be a foundation Like, human beings are so smart, whatever technology is thrown at us, we will only be building on top of it. So either it be a simple calculator, a Google Maps, or, you know, search engine at our AI, we will evolve into combining all those pieces of things into technology as a foundation, and then we will be building on top of it. So if indeed we are having access to kind of fullest extent of how we make and uh, how we access our memory well that means that we probably are making decisions differently that means probably we would be doing greater and bigger things that are helpful to us in a in a different way uh, so so i don't think anything would be replaced i think the general intention is there's always a transition in the macro world right whenever there's a piece of technology that exists that comes in Yes, some jobs will be lost, but that doesn't happen overnight. It happens slowly, and then we humans will adapt. Now the people who doesn't adapt, you know, that's like small percent of the people, yes, people will be like, just, I do not want to adapt. I do not want to use calculators. I do not want to use Google Maps. Eventually we will turn that off. Because guess what, but 98% of the people will use calculators, and that's the non, because now we can do better mathematics. Now we can invent better scientific methods. It's it's the same politician is I you know, from my perspective, is it be calibrated or fancy technology like AR?
0: So you're not at all worried about technological unemployment, or
2: anything like that? There will be a shit. There will be downside, there will be upsides, very similar to our markets. Uh, but it will eventually not be a problem. It will eventually be moving economy from like one place that existed, concentrated and it will shift. But that shift always happens over time. And that could be, you know, two decades before. Now it could be a decade. And in the future, it could be a few years and then even months.
1: So so Trent, the way I've been thinking about that is that uh, this technology makes us exponentially more capable. So the amount that we can accomplish in a lifetime goes up by 10x or maybe 100x or even maybe 1,000x. And so... Um, it's not about, uh, losing jobs, it's about taking on bigger projects and, um, uh, that, that just mega projects anymore, massive, uh, super, super giga projects or whatever they might be. Hyper, mega, ultra projects.
0: No, I, I think there's a lot to that. So we, uh, we have been kicking this idea around for a, a few episodes now, we, we did one, a couple. Uh, weeks ago specifically on this is chat GPT gonna take all the jobs and no our our thesis is is broadly no that it will not I I think we agree with you that there will be a shift and that it will probably happen over time it's a little harder to say what the dynamics will be if you're talking about a recursively self-improving intelligence something that's human level and they get superhuman level like that becomes very hard to model out but we're not dealing with anything like that personal AI is not building anything like that open AI is not building anything like that and so I, I think that we will have time to adjust. And I, I think that you're right. We will shift our production to different verticals and places where we have a comparative advantage. And, uh, you know, our argument in, in the episode I just referenced, one episode 123, was that more and more human work will shift to last mile production or last mile thinking or last mile development, where the AI will generate quite a lot of what you need to put up a web page, build an app, build a or design a quantum computing circuit or or what have you uh file a lawsuit I, I saw one today where you can do one click lawsuits now for robo calls uh you, you can just put it right in and it records the the phone call and makes a transcript out of it in one click you got a lawsuit for 1500 because they can't just spam you like that so more and more human effort will go to fitting it into the greater edifice of technology dealing with boundary cases and otherwise integrating it with with existing systems so i, I think we will just do more stuff out onto the long tails but, you know, as I said in that episode, the thing about long tails is that they're really long. There's just a lot of stuff to do. And I d- I'm not super worried about us running out of problems uh, to solve anytime soon.
2: Yeah, I think, I think, I think in fact, uh, we'll probably be worrying about a different set of problems that we cannot comprehend like right now. We probably do not know about those problems at all. But in the future, it will be talking, oh, my God, this is such a huge problem. It's like, oh, my God, like searching on this piece of information and synthesizing is like a huge problem better. Like before Google search, like just having the access to information was such a huge deal, right? Uh, Yeah, so I think it's just the mindset and how we think about it. And yes, there is short-term problems around like potentially jobs changing or shrinking and moving, but eventually people will adapt, humans will adapt, and the jobs will change. And you know, some people will go through some pain, but overall, it will only lead to the positive outcomes because that's what. We don't, like if we are selfish human beings, we are always depending on the things that on top of what is given to us. Yeah, so
0: I, I want to talk a little bit more about personal AI. And I don't mean, this is a somewhat of an abrupt shift, but I, I wanted to ask it before, uh, given that your model is targeted specifically at small data sets, what engineering challenges has that given rise to? Because these neural networks, these transformer architectures are famously data hungry. You need huge amounts of data. In order to train them, so I know that you've arrived at memory blocks in this unique architecture for for dealing with that. But what does it look like to train on sparse data sets? I, I just don't generate that much data. Uh, it's certainly yeah. not enough to train like a big a big model.
2: Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely like a challenging problem. Like even the early days of twenty twenty, I remember, um, the brains behind the, you know these personal language models is my CTO. she's is uh, Sharon Zong. Uh, she's an MIT graduate and she created like four different companies, including like Nuance Algorithms, you know, original NLP Algorithms. Mm-hmm. So the, the most interesting thing about like personal data is the idea of like being grounded into the data itself. Um, especially like with the algorithms, you do have a tendency of getting carried away where the bias of the data is. Um, and one of the misconceptions that I learned from Sharon is Large language model, large data sets doesn't necessarily mean better AI. What does it mean? It means that personal language model, if you think about the data set of a personal language model, you have a specific corpus, data corpus trend, and that may be slightly different, or not different from Thomas as well. And I'm sure it must be different from my. We probably have like few common themes, you know, AI, podcasts, you know, talking about the future, etc. But who you are as an individual person is unique. So when the intent of a request or a prompt, if you will, to the AI falls within the data purpose of what you actually possess, then we can construct meaningfully better AI response. However, if you are expecting a personal language model to function more like a large language model where you throw any prompt at it talking about any different topics that probably does not exist in one individual data purpose, then I'm Mm -hmm. like, eh? Like, I don't know. Like, I don't have that particular data. And that's the reason why a large language model makes it better for those use cases. Mm -hmm. So it's not necessarily the large amounts of data set is associated with better AI. The large amount of data set is associated with broader sets of use cases. Uh, So in our personal language model, we had to figure out what exactly is the Uh, thresholds, if you will, for identifying where does the grounded nature kind of tips over to be like more general in nature, and how do we contain that within the data sphere to construct a response. Uh, So we still have to back up like these personal language models with like foundational language models. So that way there is no Uh, confusion around how do you construct a response, you know, if all you know is like one memory right you still need to understand you need to have an understanding of the language like very similar how we learn as kids so there are like some foundational general models if you will that backs up this personal language model but the language model for like the personal language model itself is crunched within your own data and for it to construct the data it will use the foundational language models so there is like some mm-hmm. algorithmic i think beauty that is associated with making this happen
0: are you enjoying this episode of the futurati podcast If so, please like it, give the show a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and share it with your friends. By far, the best way to help us grow is to spread the word on social media, which will expose our content to more people and help us continue to bring you interviews with world-leading experts in AI, quantum computing, cryptocurrencies, and so much more. Thank you in advance. So you said said it was multimodal, right? So are you stitching together a couple of different, like, ImageNet models or... You
2: know, UL, ULMO, or or what? Yeah. Have, so the pre-trained language models. Yeah, the the input data structure, uh, which is the memory stack and memory block, and by the way, it's open. I can I can send it to you. Uh, it is multi-model. Although right now the immediate use cases is very much focused on uh, messaging and communicating back and forth with people. So that you could you know automatically draft responses in the core pilot, and other people can talk to you uh, you know automatically in the auto pilot mode. Uh, but however, we do have if you think about like events, right? Uh, when am I coming back from a specific place to specific place? Those are only like event driven data. It still can be interpreted with language. So everything that can be interpreted with language, we are doing it right now. Uh, in the future, uh, we will be able to. Uh, figure out the use cases like let's say for example you send me a text message like someone, uh what's going on, how are you feeling and uh, how it's going with personal AI you know based on the combination of all my data and memory there could be possibilities of uh, using AI generated images to for me to form a response it's like very similar to how you would you know respond with a GIFI, like you know to express your emotion today right or you would express with an emoji or a Giphy uh, so we kind of incorporated that within the product, where you can like type in a prompt, like personally, uh, and you can generate a prompt within your personal data, and then still use like stable diffusion or it to generate the image image to express, you know, that feeling. But over time, that multimodal nature of uh, how we live should be converging to an integrated experience with uh, AI language plus, like you know, visuals. Does it make sense?
0: Yeah, yeah, and, and that you you preempted another question I was going to ask about integrating with some of these other more general language models. So I, I could imagine a, a tech stack where personal AI is trained on my messages and can handle certain functionalities. Maybe I've got an instance of ChatGPT, which is trained specifically on some of my data for outputting more technical reports, something like that. Dolly for synthesizing this or that. You, you can imagine a sort of futuristic workflow coming out of that, where a lot of your output is actually generated by AI, and what you're doing is curating it, or tweaking it, or interacting with it in some way. Uh,
1: I think. So that's I not- think about it. I think about it as a personal cloud. You're kind of creating a personal yeah. cloud of information. Um, is is this uh, in any way protected from the outside? So that uh you have control over it so it doesn't get um uh kind of hijacked by the big tech companies.
2: Okay, so that's the third principle of post-IAT, which is exactly what you said. So I mean even if you go back the, the to the fundamental side, right, it's it's this core idea of like memories, right? So like how do you create a digital memory you want in the memory stack and then, and, you know, crunch a model off op- i have got them off a bit, Uh so, so I mean, Mike, I get a little bit more about my background, but, but you heard about the idea of creating experiences that are trustworthy, right? And previously it was blind people, like establishing trust with, like, you know, them communicating with a human agent who is far away to be able to, you know, rely on that information anyway. So the fundamental principle f- for the memories is that it is private, so we got to respect it and it is personal, we got to respect that as well. So the core memory stack thesis is that you own the data. Every consumer wants their own data. And in fact, this is a way to even think about converting your life, where most of the data pieces is probably fragmented in multiple different platforms to pull it together and create your memory stack that is yours forever. And we indeed went a step extra to use blockchain to protect their ownership and guarantee the privacy of the data for that individual. And this happened like, you know, in 2020 and there were a lot of challenges with it, convincing people that this is the right way to do, but going back to the thesis of, you start with the problem, the problem is, hey, what about ownership, what about privacy? What are the technologies that are available? There are like a whole bunch of technologies that you can use, but how do we remove ourselves out of the equation? How do we give full control of this data, of this AI to the people, to the point where even if somebody is putting a gun in my head, I cannot do shit, right? Like, And that is the level of commitment you need to have for building customer AI.
1: So is it possible to uh, use an assessment bot on your personal AI to um, assess how much you've learned over a period of time? And then uh, I always talk about this idea of granting micro credits where hundred micro credits equals one college credit, and so, have um, I, I. I ask this question a lot: of, if you re, if you read a thousand books, is that the equivalent of a college degree, or if you if you watch a thousand movies, is that the equivalent, or listen to two thousand hours of podcasts, is that the equivalent? Um, the right answer is it depends on the movies, the 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 books, and the podcasts. But uh, my. My speculation is that in the future, we're going to have an assessment bot that can do this assessment on what you've learned and then assign some value on an equivalency scale. This is the equivalent of a master's degree or PhD or 10 levels above a PhD. Uh, is that something that you have in your thinking or your planning?
2: let's see an interesting question. Um... What we have is the following. So, we were talking with this concept of like memory blocks, right? Uh, definitely the size of your stack will determine the breadth and the broadness and the depthness of the quantity of human AI or how grounded it is into your thinking. Uh, so far, what we have identified is if it is like north of 1,000 memory blocks, which is equivalent to around 500 pages of like your thoughts, your opinions, your content, then the scores generally falls within the corpus of you uh, along with the stylistic component, meaning how you write will start to be influenced more from like, you know, your style. So I think what you're asking is interesting. I haven't done any tests, but it may be, a worthwhile question to kind of figure out how does the size, breadth, and the depth of a stack would potentially influence, you know, the assessment. So I think that would be an interesting test.
0: Yeah, so so, sort of in keeping with that, what are the major use cases you see now and in the future? So we've mentioned messaging, and that that seems like good low-hanging fruit, but if we were going to, scope out the the roadmap over the next five years. It, it could plausibly include a, a question asking system that asks you questions in the same style that you ask them and helps you to assess your comprehension on a a book that you've read or a podcast you've listened to. And, and you could see that sort of spinning up into a, a bespoke tutor that's trained specifically on your interests and style. So we're, we're, what do you plan on building uh, with, with this? Well, so... What's the functionality you want to build into the platform and, and how do you see people using it in the future?
2: Yeah. So as of today, personal AI is a chat application, or messaging application. What does it mean? Uh it it, it basically means like today we communicate, you know, back and forth on WhatsApp, on Slack, on Discord, and iMessage to multiple different people. And sometimes we are also used to like messaging ourselves, right? It's like, no, oh, I'm gonna develop this. I'm gonna probably get back to it. So I will Message it to myself because it's an important piece of information. Uh personal AI application, when you know, whenever this airs, you can technically download from App Store uh, or a desktop application, and it will function like a chat application. You can bring in thumbs uh, and chat with him. Now, here is the interesting part. Whatever message that you send to yourself, which is to your AI, will be trained. And that message could be a piece of text, a you know, full blown article that you wrote, a URL, a video, a document, you know, all the things that probably like to walk us around you and with the B exchange. Um, and not only that, like any message that you send to Thomas, to Suman, to other people will also be trained. The value is whenever you are getting like a, any incoming message from anybody else or to yourself, to your AI, it would draft a response. So let's say, you know, you, you do like many podcasts and you talk to different people, you probably have multiple different content. If you indeed like message all those things to your AI, it could be trained on. And when Sumana's to trend, is like, what was the episode 120 that you were talking about? You know, can you link me in like specific points in there? Then your AI will be able to respond. So think about like the prompts that we are normally used to with ChatGPT, any different kinds of prompts, Will function exactly the same way with your personal AI as well, except that it is first grounded within your own data, uh, and it comes tries to construct a response like you know from 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 you. Um, so if I, if I ask you a question, simple question like, hey, when do you attend, what do you think? What do you think about blockchain in the AI space? If it can indeed construct a response from your mind because in your stack, in your model, then it does. Uh, but I can also do things like, hey Trent, give me a tweet with some inspirational quote about blockchain and the AI from your own thoughts. Then we'll do that as well, right? But we incorporate this in the messaging application because there is a immediate understanding of the need before you even start getting into, oh shit, like what are all the data that I need to train on? Start communicating, start talking to people. And anything that you send to yourself, anything to send to other people, it will be trained on. You will never lose a movement. Everything is learned and nothing is forgotten, right so those are all the things that will come out
0: that's i really like the idea of being able to talk to the podcast the future ai podcast so 129 episodes in all this content just being able to feed it the transcripts and ask it questions uh of that resulting body of knowledge is very compelling it's actually something i've been thinking about doing with uh uh with chat or, or OpenAI's open ai's api but you know th- this sounds like a yeah. plausible alternative to that
2: yeah, so there are like good number of applications that is built on like top of ChatGPT for you know like specific data sets, right? Like the podcast and specific domains, and you just give an example of, you know, a lawsuit, legal. I mean, there are like all these different use cases where you have a large group of data you can aggregate like, the data and then give it to ChatGPT, and then you can find your model. Uh, it's great. Um there are like two considerations that you have to think about it. One, um, you are submitting the data to a large language model. That means eventually that large language model will be indexing your data. And when the next version of the, you know, large language model comes in, it will be trained on the data as well. So they have to like figure out like what kind of technologies the people are building to set these boundaries within a particular thing. Um, and even then it is still like, a, you know, bigger domain. Uh, specific data set that you are probably, you know, building or fine tuning out of G- GPT. Where we focus on is on pushing really the people to have this data specific to an individual because it, it could be like so small. The contrast is 120 billion parameters is our model compared to 170 billion parameters, right? Um, so if you just add 120 billion, to 170 billion the uh, mathematics tells it's 170 billion right so it's like pure you can never get the personalization that we are talking about with a 140 billion parameter by strapping it on top of 170 billion so that that's basically like how these models are kind of uh, uh, set up um, so, yeah, so I think it, it just simply depends on what exactly is your use case. And I feel based on the macro stuff that is happening out there, chat GPT, Google language models, large language models, will solve the purposes of indexing the internet where a bunch of different use cases will be unlocked equally for all the people. Meaning if you use a prompt, if I use a prompt, it is the same output, or similar output at least. And it will be much more acceptable and widely used within the corporate setting where the data could be closed and the model is closed and, you know, you and me doesn't have access to Google's data for that matter. So, great. Our focus is consumers. Everybody should own the individual person's data, very similar to how organizations own it, and give them a mechanism that these models will work in their favor that they own, that, can, that they can bend over a period of time throughout the lifetime. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so it's like uh, opposite of open AI, personal AI. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's-, that's... The concepts are the same. The concepts are the same, the use cases are defined in the approach.
0: Do you need a dynamic and knowledgeable speaker for an event? Thomas Fry and me, Trent Fowler, are both seasoned keynote speakers, able to converse on a wide array of topics to audiences of all sizes and skill levels. Go to the contact page at Podcast.com to book Thomas or myself today, and let us apply our years of experience in public speaking to make your event a smashing success.
1: So is personal AI available today, and how much does it cost? Uh, Good question. When is
2: it getting in, by the way? oh uh
1: 12 minutes from now no i don't
0: know. <laughs> a, a couple of weeks maybe, maybe a month
2: maybe a little over that. it's, oh, it's yeah. not too yeah 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 yeah. so the reason i guess we reached out is it's time for us to go to the market now uh, so we've been building this for the past three years believe it or not uh but the good news is i think all things are coming together now specifically at, you know awareness around the ai and what it can actually do um So last year, we did like a whole different set of experimentations trying to find the use cases, you know, content generation, uh, messaging applications, influencers, like the makeup of the company. But where we are today is uh, we are at a point, we have released or releasing, depending on when people hear to this, a personal AI application that is free to download, free to use. And when you create a personal AI account, you will get your personal AI for free. Humans to humans can communicate very similar to how you would communicate on your WhatsApp. Individual DMs, private messages, you can create groups, you can create business accounts, etc. 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 However, everything that you exchange from within your own personal AI will now be working in your favor to create your own model and start having your AI generate the responses, create those magical things. It's like, ah, oh, I don't have to type this. And if you like it you simply swipe right to send it. Um, and as the number of AI interactions, AI messages, AI use increases, then we have the subscription model. It will be a uh, monthly subscription model that people would uh, choose to pick. Um, and that would be associated with, you know, X number of messages for communities, for organizations, for small businesses, for customers and clients, for, you know, heavy needs and heavy use cases. Yes, there will be a, uh, Paywall and subscription, but at the baseline, everybody can build their own AI, everybody can communicate, everybody will have a baseline of creating some value within their lives.
0: I love that. Where can we send people to learn more about your company and your offering? Personal. <laughs> if, if you're listening and not watching the video, he pointed to the sign behind him, which says personal.ai. Yep. That, that,
2: that's right. And everybody will have their own personal brand uh, page as well. So you can technically publish strength.personal.ai. People can go in there, learn about you, simply click on message that will, you know, send them a text link or a QR code, etc., to directly start talking to you. And you can choose to, if someone is coming in, it's like, I don't know Suman. Like you can choose to set him in a, like a, you know, copilot mode. Where your AI is not automatically responding because I don't trust this person. But your AI will be augmenting you, extending your thoughts. And if you say hello, it's like, hey, I made so and so day. And like if your AI has that piece of information, then it makes like, yeah, I had a good conversation with you. How's it going buddy? And then over a period of time, depending on whom you're talking to and what group it is in, you can choose to set your AI in the autopilot. But that that I think is like an evolution. It's not. It's not a service where you come in and you get a task done and you leave. This is a investment and it gets smarter and smarter and smarter. This right. is a digital asset of you that will grow you know, with people's life, right? So that's kind of how we think about it.
0: Well, I, I think it's really cool. I'm really excited to outsourcing all my fights and all the tedious stuff uh, that I don't want to do to this algorithm. So appreciate it. It's a really exciting thing you're building
2: and it was a lot of fun talking to you today. Yeah, like this, John. Uh, it's, it's always fun. And, Thomas, thanks a lot for talking questions.
1: Yeah, thanks, Suman. This is great. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.